0: And I've had to now learn what it means to not only forgive, but then what does reconciliation look like and how does that work? Because reconciliation takes two, forgiveness just takes one.
1: Welcome to the Shepherd Heart Leader Podcast, where we explore topics that help strengthen your ability to care for those under your leadership. In today's episode, Nate interviews our friend, Kevin Ramsby. Now all of us need to forgive, but Kevin shares his personal story about how he's had to take forgiveness to the next level. You do not want to miss this conversation.
2: All right, Kevin, welcome to the Shepherd Hearted Leader podcast. You know, on this podcast, we talk about topics that really help leaders go go further to help others with a shepherd's heart. And uh, I think that you exemplify a shepherd's heart in what God has led you through. And you've got an incredible story that we're going to hear about here in just a moment um, that I think plays into hope for those that would listen. But I want to start with the story of how you and I connected. Sure. And uh, it goes way back to North Central Bible College. Bible College, that's right. It wasn't even a university (laughs) then. So, Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, your family, and sure. your ministry history. Um, well, I'm uh, Kevin Rams. We've pastored the
0: last 24 years in the inner city of Detroit before actually launching his new ministry here up in the Minneapolis area this last year. But prior to that, I um, was raised in a non-Christian home, was the first person saved in my family. And uh, about six months after coming to Christ, I felt this call to ministry. And back then there was no training schools. It was, where do you go? And North Central Bible College is where they (laughs) told me I should go for ministry. And so Showed up um, just as a baby Christian and went there, and that's obviously—did a lot of playing basketball during school, and that's where I think I first met you is playing on the
2: courts. That's right. (laughs) I
0: don't know how, like, saved we were on the courts, but, you know— I, I have good things even back then. You okay. were you were you weren't you weren't one of those guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we had some we had some uh serious stories of people yeah, out there. That's right. So you went through uh North Central and uh, when you were done, you went into ministry right away?
0: Yeah, we uh after I left North Central, I went to uh It's an old name from the past, Marilyn Hickey. Uh Marilyn Hickey's ministry and launched a junior high ministry at her church, was there in Denver, and then got married a year later. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been married to my wife for 28 years. Wow, congratulations. And and then after that, we went and served uh, about three years youth pastoring in Terre Haute, Indiana, where Indiana State University is. They're only known because Larry Bird went to college there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But uh, was there. And then Um, From there, we ended up uh, moving to Detroit. I did my internship during college in East Mm -hmm. St. Louis, Mm -hmm. Illinois, which was a mini Detroit and really had a heart and burden for inner city, working with young people, especially like in gangs and at risk youth. And so Mm -hmm. that led us to uh, Detroit and that turned into 24 years of doing youth ministry, associate pastor, lead pastoring and planting a church and just uh, a
2: variety of um, ministry um, experiences. And then at one point, then you were at Revival Tab, yep. Which Jody and I have like a serious connection, or that's where God connected us. Oh, wow, yep. did a missions trip back in '92 when I was an intern at Emmanuel, and it was on that trip that God spoke to me. He had already spoken to Jody about us getting together, but she was the female youth leader on that trip. Okay, and it was at Revival Tab on a Friday night after a week of Detroit outreach. Hmm that uh, God spoke to me that I needed her wow. and that we were going to reach people together. Whew. And uh, so right at the altar, the church that you <laughs> pastored in, that's just crazy. Yes. it's a, that, That's an amazing testimony right there. Now the city around the church was yep. filled with a lot of pain. Yes, it definitely
0: is. I mean, our church building alone was a renovated triple X movie theater mm. and um, turned into a house of worship. On one side was a, uh, a, a strip club and the other side was a hotel motel that was really for prostitutes and mostly transvestite prostitutes mm. and right in between that was um, the church and so mm. we pastored there, we were executive pastors for about six or seven years and then we um, following that we were the lead pastors there for another four or five years and then but the neat experience was we actually lived in the same community
2: then that we pastored Wow in. and I, I remember it back you know, this is 92 but that was not an easy, um, place to live. And there was a lot of violence around and there was a lot of tension, racial tension, that kind of thing. Um, so in that environment, something happened to you and this is a big part of your story. We want to get to tell us, tell us what happened. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we, um, in 2009, we, um, had a house that was vacant for a year. We spent our life savings. We renovated it, making it our dream home. We really envisioned our spending the rest of our ministry living in that community. That community had become, become family to us. Um, and one night, three in the morning, we had just finished up uh, like a Detroit outreach, a whole mm-hmm. outreach week where we had 300 students around the country came in, Uh, Did outreach for a whole week, and that night um, was the concluding. We concluded the day before, went to bed about midnight, and at three in the morning uh, was suddenly awakened to the sound of breaking glass and a man who wasn't from Detroit uh, Mm. was from down south, uh, who came to Detroit trying to spent fifteen years in prison, I believe, Mm. was trying to meet an estranged daughter, and that didn't work out. um, So he ended up on my street going back to some drugs trying to cope with mm. i think that rejection ran out of it and at three in the morning broke into my house looking for money to go uh get so, you know his next hit his mm. next drugs uh to go out and do that and um i was awakened and raced down my stairs um hearing the glass break, break and he had already climbed through my window was armed with a large kitchen knife be the like the largest one you would find in a knife block set mm-hmm. knife block set and um He was running towards me as I was racing down the stairs yelling, this is my house, get out, this is my house, get out. And literally he came around the corner as I hit my bottom steps and was surprised by him. All I could do was jump to try to tackle the guy. And when I landed on him, grabbing hold of his shoulders, he had just enough time to lower the blade, and the first stab went right into my abdomen. And just with all my momentum coming down, it ripped upwards and um, that was the worst of the wounds, but then a fight ensued. And so we, we stood there at the base of my steps under a lit chandelier and we just began fighting and wasn't much of a fight. He, um, just kept stabbing me over and over, hit me to the temple all the way through my cheek, two times to the throat, to the chest, um, to the point I literally collapsed on the ground, um, just because of the wounds. And instead of him just going to take whatever it was that, Um, He came to try to get. He um, jumped on top of me, straddled me, and just began over and over again just stabbing. And um,
2: so it was a a surprise that night for sure. Mm. So this is that moment where you didn't even have time to assess what was going on. You were defending your house. Your wife and your kids were upstairs. No. It's one of the miracles of the story. The night before... um,
0: we uh, made a decision. The kids were, during outreach week, always would go stay with uh, grandparents in Rockford, Illinois. So they were supposed to come back that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the night before, for really no real reason, uh, looked at Sarah said, you know what? Instead of the kids coming back, why don't you go be with them? Mm-hmm. And so my wife had left that afternoon, wow. drove to Illinois, and actually when she ended up getting the phone call, from the hospital about something happening to me, she would only arrived a couple hours before, and um, so my thankfully my entire family was not home that day. Oh, praise it was just, God, just myself and my black lab dog that was worthless. Wow, <laughs> I'm just
2: kidding. Wow, well, yeah, because they love everybody, right? <laughs> Including yeah. intruders. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let so uh, this story obviously has pulled me in, and I'm sure anybody that's listening right now is like, whoa. Uh, he kept stabbing you and stabbing you. When did he stop, and what happened next?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, to the point, there was a point where one of the stabs came down. I grabbed hold of the entire blade that broke off of my hand, and so I literally started trying to use the blade to get him off of me, and um, eventually that fell out because I was using holding onto the blade and not the handle, and when he was going to get there, I tried to stand up. And um, he once again got the knife, jumped on my back, and then resumed stabbing me 10 times to the back of the head, six times to the spine, the base of my neck, seven to the shoulder, to the point I literally fell on the ground, Pastor Nate, and I was convinced I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. Yeah. I, I felt stuck. That's when I looked up and saw my dog standing there. and I was like, <laughs> why aren't you doing anything? <laughs> um, but then he um, it was the first time he spoke, and he wanted to know where my keys to my truck was and where where's the money. And all I could say is I don't have any money. I'm an inner city pastor. <laughs> uh, I'm broke. Uh, but the keys are in the kitchen. And he would go back, look for the keys, couldn't find them, would come back, stick me some more, wow. begin dragging me towards the kitchen, ask again, where's the keys? Tell him he'd go look for them again. Um, I began telling him about my kids, yeah. um, Noah, who attends the Lakeville campus, yeah. and um, my daughter, um, Caitlin, because I was, I thought maybe if he had kids, mm. Maybe he would just have a little bit of mercy or compassion and just stop. Um, but when he couldn't find the keys, just came back again, stabbed me again, and pulled me all the way to the kitchen and where he asked again, and I just told him, "I go like it doesn't matter anymore. I'm dead." Mm-hmm. And um, there, I just began going in and out of consciousness. He began going through my house upstairs, mm-hmm. and um, there was a moment where I just I felt this shaking, and I was awakened, and I knew that I was fading in and out. And um, I just do, probably most of us do it, times of desperation, I began praying. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for me, at that moment, I had one request, really. It wasn't God heal me, God save me, God protect mm-hmm. me, send help. It was, um, God, let me know that you see me right now. Mm-hmm. Let me know that he wasn't surprised like I was that night. And mm-hmm. if I could just get some type of a sign That he saw me, I I felt like I'd be okay because I trust him. And um, in that moment, I just felt like God, to be honest, had abandoned me. Mm -hmm. And I felt like he was nowhere around. Mm. Um, So I began praying my final prayers for my wife, for my daughter, that God would be the father to her, protect her purity, Mm. um, keep every jerk of a boy away from her. I was praying for my son Noah that he wouldn't blame God. And it was in that moment, my prayer was interrupted and I heard four words just like we were, Mm. just as we would are talking right now. Those four words were, they still need you. When I heard those words that they still need me, pastor Nate, it's like everything within me was like, I got to keep fighting. I can't can't stay down. I'm like, I got to figure out. And even though I had in, in that moment had mentally written out the rest of my story, who was going to find me? When they were going to find me? What my wife was going to be thinking at that time? Um, I just knew at that moment um, I need to keep fighting, and that's when I stood up and um, I realized how bad I was hurt for the first time. And, and really, again, I went from thinking I was paralyzed to so all of a sudden I was able to stand, and um, I had to pick up my insides that were on the outside of me and thankfully was able to get out a side door while he was still upstairs and make it to a neighbor's house. And they were able to call uh, the, the first responders. And um, mm-hmm. from there, we just began um, the journey of surgery
2: and recovery. Wow. So, wow. Like, yeah. my goodness. Kind of uh, heavy. <laughs> yeah, well, being drawn <laughs> into the moment, uh, visualizing yeah. that you're a pastor, you're a husband, you're a dad. Yeah. And... Uh, now you're able to look back and remember some of the thoughts and the emotion and the fears and the, but that, that in the middle of the darkest moment, there was purpose. Yeah. There was a reason to keep going. Yeah. And
0: it's so funny in the moment, I'm just thinking, okay, my family needs me. And then as time went on, as we began fighting the battle of what we call the fight to forgive, which was an entirely, it wasn't fighting for your life. It was a, it was an entirely different battle, spiritual battle. Um, I realized that there was so many other people that needed us in our community, in our church, in our city, um, and even wow. from the first responder. I mean, there's some so many miraculous um, stories that have come out of that mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, and it all comes down to how we
2: responded to this trauma and this the wrongs and wounds created by another. Yeah, well, that's a great. Somewhat of a segue for us because when I think about being a shepherd hearted leader, doesn't mean that you're not going to go through pain and be wronged. I mean, you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. It wasn't (laughs) your fault. Uh, That's part of why
0: I began blaming God. And I really had an issue with God because in my mind, I'm sitting here going, this isn't supposed to happen to me. Mm. Again, I'm a pastor, I'm doing. Inner city missions yeah. work. This happens to the drug leader, drug uh, drug dealers, and the gang members, and those folks, not yeah. people like me. Mm. And, um, and that's when I realized, you know, that's that's just
2: wrong, you know. Yeah. It's, so you went in, and so there's obviously we we're going to have to fast forward sure. a bit. But when it comes to you, you survived. You got to the hospital. How many times were you stabbed? I was. In total, stabbed uh, 37 times. Goodness. Yeah. And um, and then, uh, then there was a... How long was the recovery? Um, we stayed two weeks in the hospital, and
0: they because of some infections, they said it would be better for us to heal at home. Yeah. So we then we spent uh, um, a couple weeks in a hotel. Then we returned to the same home with the guy still loose, and Well um, oh, they didn't catch them. They didn't catch them for about three months later, and we would wow. get crazy letters about people who've talked to them, seen them, dropped off at our house. Um, it was just, um, yeah, it was a crazy time. And my wife, though, for two months would have to pack my insides twice mm-hmm. a day at home. She was my nurse, mm-hmm. and then um, I had about five months of physical therapy, mm-hmm. and it took us a
2: total of about nine months to return back to ministry. Wow. Wow. Boy, there's so much wrapped up in that, even yeah. as a couple, I'm sure. And what was she feeling and and what was it like to watch you? And then you still have a church in the backdrop, yeah. right? I'm assuming somebody stepped up to cover while you were out.
0: Well, at that time I was the executive pastor. Mm-hmm. So we were just in the middle of a big vision, church planning vision, where mm-hmm. I was supposed to be helping with launching a new campus. And so um, some of those ministry things had to just literally mm. kind of just in a sense, fade to the background yeah. and we didn't even return to him. And really all of the weight went, up, went upon uh, Pastor Tim, who was the, yeah. the lead pastor. Yeah. And, um, um, and then um, after returning back to ministry, we felt God was possibly, I couldn't go back to normal. Mm. And so I submitted my resignation at the end of the year, we were going to be resigning and just seeing what God had for us. I just couldn't go back to yeah. normal. yeah, And, um. Literally a month before our last day, God called our lead pastor to go to Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. So the church would have been losing in a matter of a month. It's founding and lead pastor, and it's executive executive pastor for seven years. And so at that moment, while we were still recovering, um, just literally back in the ministry, a couple months, we said we would step up to the role of lead pastoring. So our healing time really became... Um, during our pastoral, where we shifted from wow. following a founding pastor yeah. to now pastor Man, there's the church, so much wrapped it, up it, just it, in that, a, without your trauma. There was a lot. It was it was a it was a challenging four years, yeah. four or five years
2: of lead pastoring following that attack. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the things I know about you is you, while you're working on the church and just doing whatever is needed, yeah. like you just described. You still had an inner world, and in your inner, in the heart, you had things going on, and uh, it was unresolved. If they hadn't caught the guy, and and then I'm assuming there was was a court process, and you were you a part of that? Yeah. So the first, quickly in the
0: hospital room, I did i I said for the first time that I'm going to forgive this guy. Mm. Um, I didn't really realize a lot about, know a lot about forgiveness. And mm. I thought, okay, I forgave him. But the problem was with him being on the run for three months, when I returned home, fear really began. Mm. I mean, some of the crazy stories, my first night back in the house, 3 a.m., the exact time he broke in, all the power went out of my house. Oh, my god! I mean, it was just, we, I, I was tormented. Uh, we had guys staying with us for about two months. They would bring every weapon you can imagine, just to sit by our side in case the guy you. came back. But yeah. um, but I began to be so consumed by fear that I began hunting for the guy and looking mm. for him. I spent all my time looking for him online, and one time I, f- I thought I found where he was through an app and through a website, mm. and it showed a map where his location was that he had made a post, and um, I loaded up my car with um, some things to go mm. look for him. And my life began kind of spinning out of control for during that time to the point that I literally was driving home one day from therapy, and I had the thoughts of just ending my life. Wow. And I was like, "Where is this coming from? I survived. Why would I want to?" Mm. And I began to realize that 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 there was a root of bitterness beginning to grow within me. Mm. And though I said I forgave him, I didn't understand what it meant. To to forgive him over and over and how much I needed to forgive and Mm. how much many times I'd have to re-forgive when something new would come up. And, um, that bitterness turned into these thoughts of suicide and, um, I just broke and, um, really then just beginning to fight to forgive this guy. Mm. And, um, it really came to a great breakthrough point, um, Three years later, when we had the sentencing, I mean, mm. it took that long to finish out the court process. We were involved in the arraignment where I stood before him, and he denied it was him. Mm. So he's trying to make really? me look like I'm a liar, and um, it was just it was a tough moment. And then at the sentencing, he finally did plead, you know, take a plea, and um, and at that moment, you give a victim statement, and um, I told my, the district attorney, I'm not going to give a victim statement. I said, I'll give a life statement. Mm. And instead of giving a victim statement, I shared with the court, um, how God had changed me because of this. And I put God the center of my story instead of the person who hurt me and wounded me and really created years of really 10 years of hardship that we had Mm. to go through. We lost everything financially. We went bankrupt Mm. and one act by this one man created such a huge amount of hurt and wounds mm. and loss and I um I just said, Yes, this is the man who did it. Yes, he stabbed me, but God has changed me as a husband and I shared how and mm. as a as a um father mm. and how as a pastor, as a friend, as a son to my mom and I just put God the center of the story and reframed it around mm. him. And that's that's where I felt like there was this moment that mm. of, okay, I'm going to make it. And mm. um, we actually went to a counselor, Pastor Nate. They, Someone paid for us. And one of the, we did all the tests. And this was an, even in the beginning after we forgave. And they said, what did you do in the beginning months? And we shared, we one, we forgave this man. But two, we were part of a church community. Mm. And we were surrounded by family mm. and And really, the body of Christ is designed to heal itself. The Mm -hmm. body's been designed to heal itself. And so he said, what did you guys do? And we shared with them. He goes, because when we look at your results, there's hardly any sign of any traumatic event that has ever taken place in your life. Wow! And so we were just, God has been
2: so good to us. Wow. 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 Um, I've got a million questions. I'm (laughs) sure anybody that's listening does as well. But you really are kind of guiding us to that space of there's trauma, trauma can produce different things inside of you, even as a leader. So here you are a preacher, a leader, a spiritual leader as a shepherd in a church. You're turning around saying all the right things to everybody else, (laughs) but you still got something going on inside of you. I think all of us have that dynamic at play. Um, We're not perfect. There's things going on inside, but the effects of unforgiveness can be really bad yeah and uh, and now you're in a place where you're challenging people everywhere to fight for forgiveness yeah and um, and uh, I'm curious I want to get to that like what are the key things that you think sure. we could share from a leadership perspective because we're we're talking to to Business leaders who oversee uh, their business and employees, yep. as well as church leaders who oversee uh, ministries, or they're on our what we call team Emmanuel. Our volunteer teams, what they oversee, other leaders. Mm-hmm. So while they're doing their ministry or their leadership, or they're a parent over yeah. kids, they have to pay attention to themselves, and they have to do it. So, but before we get to what, sure. how, I am curious, what uh, what about this guy? Did you ever have a closing in the loop with? the guy that hurt you?
0: Yeah, so when we gave when I gave the life statement, I did reach I told him I said if you ever need a friend, if you need someone, if you ever want to get to a place where you want to make a change in your life, I'll be in your corner. Mm. And so, following that, I ended up writing him about a month or two months later while he was in prison and basically just again to let him know I meant what I said. Mm. And from there, you know we had, we, had, we spent about eleven years corresponding writing back and forth while he 's been serving out his he got sentenced to eighteen to forty years mm. and so we 've spent um, a number of years just corresponding that 's where I got to learn more about his story, mm. his background his struggles and um and from there it's it 's been great to have ministry moments with him mm. um, and he 's on his own journey mm-hmm. and um And so, and I've had to now learn what it means to not only forgive, but then what does reconciliation look like and Mm. how does that work? Because reconciliation takes two, forgiveness just takes one. Mm. And so there's been times when I've had to put boundaries up between us and said, you've crossed a boundary Mm. and we've had to take some steps back. Uh Um, But then as time went on and he would re-engage and kind of understand and apologize and we would talk things through, then we would r- kind of reconnect and begin mm. renewing that relationship. so it's been a, that's been a journey in itself mm. um, with him but yeah we've um, through that has been um, it's been neat because even from that moment it's birth some of the things that we've now we're yeah. doing today yeah. and it's all comes through this from, the, from being able to forgive and then also being able to like Joseph did in his story allow those who have hurt and wronged you to come up close to your life. Mm. And there's something power about proximity. Mm. And um, when someone hurts or wrongs you or wounds you, usually proximity is the thing that is thrown out the window. Mm. And to allow God to stay in the center, to, to allow him to guide that, to see could there be a renewing of a relationship
2: or does there need to be boundaries? It's been a a really great journey. Wow. Well, I'm thinking about the, and I like that language um, where you have to have a boundary and there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, or maybe that's the next step of yeah. forgiveness. Um, and then it doesn't mean that it's finished. Like, like you mentioned earlier that you have to forgive lots of times. Yeah. There's. I think that's, th- I think that is
0: where pastors and leaders, I think personally in my own, I think when I began, I was like, "I got to forgive this guy for nearly murdering me." Right. But as time went on, I realized, no, I got to also forgive him for stealing the innocence of my kids. Hmm. I had to, I have to forgive him for the fear he's instilled in my wife. I had to forgive him for causing us to go bankrupt. I had to forgive him for that hmm. list, that record of wrongs yeah. that developed and grew over time. Wow. And so I realized you don't forgive just the act and what someone's done. You have to also forgive all of the impact and everything that's produced. And if not, you're going to have not full, complete forgiveness. You're going to find yourself facing or being triggered by something. Mm. And then when you're triggered and you face another moment, you go all the way back to the offense. And now you're back at square one. And it's part of it's being able to clearly define all that needs to be forgiven and let the Mm. Holy Spirit really shine light into your inner your your inner being so that you can create what's the complete record of wrongs. Let the Holy Spirit show you that. Yeah. And then work through every piece of that yeah. through forgiveness and putting it under the
2: blood of Christ. Yeah. Wow. Wow, and now um that's become your focus. Yeah. Um and your ministry and it's really God's using this in a beautiful yeah. way, your own personal <laughs> journey. Yeah. And taking what the devil meant for evil and turning it to good, and uh, so now you've written, uh, you've got uh, curriculum, a process. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can do. You can speak in churches and and events. I'd love to have you at some point speak at a manual. Um, and I think to share your story, because not everybody has the same trauma, but they have the same process that they need to go through for forgiveness and maybe reconciliation. I'm thinking of people that, um, that were, uh, molested when they were kids to physical abuse, to emotional abuse, to, um, so even within the family, um, cause people want to move away from their families and there's these walls between families and how do you navigate that? Yeah. I think, Pastor, you're speaking to something that's so important, especially for pastors, like with a shepherd's heart.
0: Yeah. Um, I was speaking at a church and we created, passed out all these cards to the congregation. It was, it was kind of in a sense to create the record of wrongs. Mm. And when they submitted everything back to us, we walked them through this exercise. I was blown away by the level of trauma, unresolved past wounds mm. that the congregation was living with and they're here, shared this on all of these things, I mean, hundreds of them. Mm. And then from a pastor's perspective, you know, having a pastor pastoral heart, I sat here going, how many people have sat in my congregation? And I focus so much on vision and growth and yeah. moving forward that I neglected their spiritual being, their, mm. their health, their yeah. mental, their emotional, those yeah. other parts that are so important for them. And so... Mm. It was a real eye-opening kind of experience to see um, just the level of trauma that sits in a congregation every Sunday. But it's not just—we always think it's in the moment. But you're like what you talked on—it's the the father wounds of their upbringing. There's so much. There's so many layers there, and that's for us. We felt like our heart was to help pastors because we have a pastoral heart. How do we? Help pastors equip their con- equip their congregations to be able to forgive, yeah. and how to win their fight to forgive. And you know, so we kind of broke it down to there's there's a moment of a forgiveness, but then there's an equipping that needs to take place so that you can keep forgiving over and over mm-hmm. again. So that ultimately, you can get to that place of complete freedom.
2: Yeah, yeah. Jesus came to set the prisoners free. Right. We don't have to remain in prison yep. forever but we do need to go through a process to get out. Um, I think of, uh, the good news of the gospel is, is salvation, but it's also full freedom and, uh, finding that and going on that journey. I'm super grateful that you have said yes, embraced what God's calling you and your wife to do. And, um, and now it's being expressed all over the place. We were talking earlier about how you can share your story in prisons and how it's, it's uh, encouraging people that are in places they can't get out of externally, but internally they can find true freedom. Yeah. And um, that's just super powerful. Let me ask you, um, as we kind of land the plane for this episode, um, just if if a listener is listening to you and they hear your story... Um, what is one thing or maybe a couple of things we can do right now as a leader to pay attention in our own heart? And then secondly, how can we help others that we're leading that would be helpful in this regard? Yeah,
0: I I really believe strongly in um, there's a partnership that needs to take place between you, whether you're the leader or whether you're a person sitting in the church when it comes to your past, and um, and it's a partnership with the Holy Spirit, yeah. and we need to invite the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's the counselor. yeah. And by inviting the Holy Spirit to help us go revisit some of those parts of our story mm. that if we're honest with ourselves— they're still having a level of impact and influence in our lives. Mm-hmm. And we can see it by how we relate to people. Mm-hmm. We say stuff like, you know, that happened in the past, I'll never allow this to happen again. And so we we live behind these walls, not, not it more out of a fear that something's gonna happen again mm-hmm. versus just out of a out of health. Mm-hmm. It's it's a fear-based. And so mm-hmm. really the partnership with the Holy Spirit is so important to say, okay where have I been hurt? And usually it's not the most recent offense or wound that you've, usually there's something Mm. further back that has to be uprooted. Mm. And you have to go through this process of, I think the Holy Spirit takes us on that journey. So like for me, what was key in forgiving my attacker wasn't forgiving my attacker. It was forgiving my mom Mm. who 15 years before left her family. Mm. And one day when she was driving me to therapy, we had no relationship for many years. She just showed up by my bedside while I'm in the hospital room. Mm. And she was driving me to the therapy, and I told my mom that I need to forgive the guy. And she looked at me, she goes, well, have you ever been able to forgive me? Mm. And in that moment, it was not just forgiving her, but it was also me taking the other side of forgiveness, which is the record of responsibility. Mm. I had to apologize to her Mm. for how I treated her for those 15 years. Mm. And my relationship with my mom was reconciled. And in that moment of dealing with my past, Mm -hmm. um, stuff that was undealt with, I was now free to look at my attacker in a whole different light. And so I think that partnerships thing. And I think the other part is always, I always say, if there's the bookends of the forgiveness fight. Mm-hmm. One bookend is trusting God. Mm-hmm. And the other is what I call running from the lead, which is biblically speaking, it's forgetting your past. It's like what the apostle Paul says, forgetting those things which be, which are behind me. Yeah. It's not an absence of memory, but it's getting to a place where your past is no longer influencing or affecting you. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's when you can begin to live the the life that God mm-hmm. has called you. But the trusting God component you're going to have to entrust people. Mm. You're going to have to entrust outcomes. You're going to have to entrust your business. You're, mm. you're going to have to entrust your ministry, um, the leader. You're going to have to entrust people to God. And if mm. you don't trust him fully, yeah. it's hard to entrust those parts of our story. And so we always walk people through that first step is remembering God's faithfulness in their story. And when mm. you figure when you find yourself, find it difficult to forgive or being triggered always go back
2: to God's faithfulness in your story. So super good. Wow. Um, So much there. And obviously so much more that's in, maybe we'll have to have you back at some point and share some more. Um, As we conclude uh, this episode, would you pray over our audience? I just felt like, you know, we, we talk about deep things. You shared your story and I think you have a spiritual authority in this area. Like God has given you spiritual authority and uh those that are listening, whether they're driving or they're they're sitting at home or they're watching, um, I I think there's a moment we can all pause and say, you know, let the Holy Spirit touch us and I'd like you to pray over our audience. Go ahead. Be honor. Lord, thank you for um Pastor Nate, thank you
0: for Uh, Pastor Jody, I pray that you would just continue to use them in this ministry, God, to um, equip people, God, and equip leaders. And so, Lord, I just come right now and I just invite the Holy Spirit even right now for anyone who's maybe listened or followed this podcast that you would begin to reveal and open their eyes to parts of their story that they might have moved forward and passed. They might not have even thought about something for Many months, many years, but even in the moment, there's something that was brought up and quickened and there was a thought of how something happened years ago. And I think that's the Holy Spirit beginning to to show that there's something that was just swept under the rug and there's never been true freedom. And um, I just pray as you just begin to reveal those parts of our story, that God, that you, Holy Spirit, would just lead them through that process I pray that you would give each listener, whether it's a leader, a pastor, a a business owner, a church leader, um, that they would also see the people in their lives that need them. Mm. And they need them not to just move forward. They need them to be whole. They need them to be fully free. They need them to be fully present in the moment to lead and to serve with um, just the love of Christ. And that comes when we can fully forgive from the heart. Mm -hmm. And so, God, I just pray that you would just begin to just do that type of work, God, just to uh, bring people to that place of recognition that I need to make forgiveness a priority Mm and a pursuit and a fight. And that through that, God, I pray that it would lead even to some great, reconciliation moments um, between brothers and sisters and people and family members, God, that can come when there's true healing that begins with an act of forgiveness. And so, Lord, I just thank you for that in Jesus' name.
2: Amen. amen. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Pastor. Appreciate it so much. All right.
1: Wow. What an amazing conversation. I have to admit, I got a little convicted when he talked about not being triggered by things. I'm like, I might have a little work to do. Well, if you're looking for some resources on forgiveness, check out the link in the description. Kevin wrote a book, A Fight to Forgive, and this would be a great resource for you or those under your leadership. Until next time, keep leading well.